Hello and welcome to another episode of Joe Blogs About Films. Thanking you so much, as always, for clicking on this podcast, for clicking on the episode as well. However it is, wherever it is, it really is super, super appreciated. We are diving back into the TV world. I love a good TV episode. So much to kind of unpack and talk about. And as we know, I like to go here, there and everywhere talking about a series. And, and this series in particular is one that I, like many others, am such a huge fan of. Uh, from when it started back in 2016 to, to where we are now, obviously, all the hype that's around it, surrounds it. It's just incredible. It is, of course, Stranger Things. It's just returned volume one and volume two, now fully on Netflix uh, for season four. It's crazy to see where this series has gone, to see how much has progressed, obviously not only with the characters, but the scope, the budget, how just how iconic it is in the pop culture world. Like you take some form of a track from like the 80s or whatever and it can just be number one in the charts, obviously referring to how successful Kate Bush has done once again with running up that hill. I think that kind of cements this, the, say the status it has on that pop culture world. And I, and I, I think the Duffer brothers have always been absolutely dead on and amazing, done an amazing job with this series. The homages, the nods, the, you know, the influences that they've taken from iconic films in their own rights from the eighties is something that I, as a, as a fan of those films, as well as a fan of the classics will never, never tire of. And season four obviously still has those influences, but it's nice to see as well, the Duffer, you know, Duffer Brothers really running with the Stranger Things being being its own thing as well. You're going to always have those homages. Obviously, season one heavily has those nods and influences. And season four has them as well, obviously, with Vecna, this huge, huge, big bad. Obviously, looking forward to talking about him and, you know, more inspiration, like the likes of Freddy Krueger and such like that. But just Stranger Things, man, it's done so well. It's, inc- it's incredibly, incredibly popular. Um, so probably is a little bit daunting in a way to, to kind of sit down and talk about it and not try to gush too, too much about how much I love this show. But I really do. And I'm looking forward to, say, diving into season four because there is a ton to go over. As I've stated, the scope of this is huge. It's the biggest one that they've done, obviously. Yeah, obviously splitting it into two volumes is pretty pretty massive in its own right. But the actual lengths of these episodes in season four, you know, we're talking like every episode was over an hour. Every episode was close to an hour and a half. The last episode, episode nine, was two and two hours and 20 minutes, just short of two and a half hours. So we're talking film, cinematic events, you know, and that's the thing, like I say, the, the one thing I always look at as well, as you know, if you listen to the podcast before, is I love the cinematography side of things and uh, and it just all looks so so good like it's you can tell that they're running with that budget that Netflix have given them obviously Netflix have lost a lot of lot of subscribers I would say over the years I think there's so many so many streaming sites out there now you know your Apple TVs your Disney Pluses Amazon Primes they've got to keep ahead of it you know what I mean and Netflix was the first big dog wasn't it but over the you said know, so the the years and such there has been a decrease in viewers and Netflix is Netflix Stranger Things is sorry Netflix's biggest show let's be frank it really is it was one of the early ones that started there one of the ones that they were kind of you know just going for I would say quality over quantity at the start of things when it came to Netflix originals now I think it's probably going more towards quantity over quality but that's just my personal opinion but there's nothing to take away from the fact that Stranger Things is the best thing out there on Netflix it's one of the best tv shows Ever and that's I know it's a big statement, but I would happily I would I will defend that. Um, it is an absolutely masterclass of a TV show, and it's so easy to see why this show is so popular. It resonates with a lot of people like myself, huge nerd. I love it. Lots of people love it as well. 
it's been one of those shows, really. It's been such an enjoyable ride from start to finish. And we're going to talk about season four. Season four, which sees our characters all split over different sides of of the world, essentially. Obviously, you've got the Hawkins crew, you've got the Russia story, you've got the California side of things as well. So many different places that our characters are finding themselves in um, and, and all coming together in one storyline, one thing that ends with the ultimate ending, leading us into season five, which I've bloody loved that last shot of this series and this is the thing when i was obviously de- deciding how to do the strange things podcast i what i was going to do volume one and then come back for volume two but i thought you guys know what i'm like i go here there and everywhere so i thought let's just wait until it's done have a bit of breathing space make plenty of notes as i have done and just go over the entirety of the episode so do sit back and enjoy i hope you enjoy as well um but yeah very much looking forward to diving into strange things season four before we do though obviously the podcast is available on apple spotify and google podcasts jump onto rss.com as well to uh, find the podcast there also spotify if you want to give us a like and a follow on there on spotify hit the notification button so you can be notified when new episodes are uploaded jump onto facebook finally and search joe blogs about films for the facebook page to see again when new episodes are uploaded but here we are though on this particular episode talking about strange things season four spoilers obviously from the get-go if you've not watched it i mean what are you listening for <laughs> but if you've not seen it again sorry spoilers within this episode because like i said so much to unpack we learned so much in this series and filling in gaps that i didn't know needed filling in in particular with the 11 storyline in this one but um the production value for this is unreal this series you know the budget for each episode was something like 30 million dollars an episode just to put that into some form of context, the first season of Stranger Things only had a budget of seven million or something like that. So that's how much, and, and you can tell they've really ran with it as well. And the Duffer Brothers have made easily one of the say one of the best, one of the best, one of the better TV series that have been out there in a number of years. This series, for all its fantastic moments and and dark tones and such, it is a very good series. It's not my personal favorite, but that's just me. It's not my personal favourite, but it is a very good season nonetheless. I say it's absolutely 10 out of 10 for, you know, the horror, as I stated, the character pieces as well, and the likes of Max, you know, who I feel was very, very well written in this show, very, in this series, sorry, she's been great throughout, but I think that, as I say, Sadie Sink, who plays Max, was absolutely 10 out of 10, and it's kind of surprising to me in a way that she's not been nominated for an Emmy, because the Emmys have just come out of the nominations. Strange Things, of course, has a high number. We're talking 13 Emmy nominations, you know, for outstanding drama series, casting for a drama series, the production design is in there for nomination, music supervision as well, prosthetic makeup, massive tick for that one. I love prosthetics and that, and making Vecna, you know, real, not CGI, was such, such a big tick for me. Uh, the sound editing, sound mixing, visual effects, coordination, stunt performance... All of that, as I say, all nominated for an Emmy. It's just a shame that the actors haven't actually been nominated because I think that uh, if anyone, I say I know that Millie Bobby Brown is fantastic as well as Eleven, but I thought Sadie Sink was tremendous in this, and I'm looking forward to going over a little bit more of that in this um, in this particular episode. But there you go. As I say that's how well this TV series has done. Like I say, it was broke Netflix for a little bit when Volume Two came out. You know what I mean? Like it broke. I say people trying to stream it as soon as it dropped. People couldn't get hold of it um, and had to wait a little bit for Netflix to kind of reboot and uh, start again. So that's how popular this TV show is. It's been so nice as well to see like so many on social media just, you know, gushing as much as like I would do just about how much they absolutely love this TV show and what they expect. I mean, my only like kind of like gripe, I would say, is that people sometimes get too bogged down in theories. There's been some interesting 
theories since uh, since it ended since well since volume one ended there were loads in between wasn't there let's be honest there were loads of people thinking this thinking that a lot of the theories that i saw which were quite ridiculous i was like well that's not going to come true why do people think this didn't come true anyway so it's like just let the duffer brothers the duffer brothers will always surprise us the duffer brothers know what they're doing they said from the get-go as well that they wanted this season to be the empire strikes back season of stranger things and it's dead on that you know what i mean like it's you know most of the characters and heroes come out unscathed but evil does win in this series vecna does essentially win his 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 goal obviously is to bring the upside down out of obviously that dimension into the right side up and by the end of it that's where we find ourselves that is literally what sets up for season five and I love that. I love that idea, saying that they wanted the Empire Strikes Back, and it does have that feel of it, especially that last shot, as I say, which I can't wait to talk to. We're probably going to be a while away before we get to that. And this is the thing, this is what I'm talking about. I go from here, there, and everywhere. Here I am already talking about one of my favourite scenes being the final shot, but there is so much that comes in between all of that, as I say. Um, as I say, I will dive a little bit more into characters in just a moment. Uh, and this is the thing, I was also trying to work out how to do this. Should I, I was like, should I split this up between characters or should I split this up between kind of like locations and where we find ourselves? I'm just going to go with it. And hopefully you can stick around for the ride as well because like I stated, there is so much to enjoy about this series. So much I enjoyed, I'm sure there's going to be something that you enjoyed in particular more so than the rest. And if I miss anything out on this podcast, I do apologise. As I stated, there is a lot to unpack in this. So I'm going to be talking all things, you know, Eddie, Vecna, Eleven storyline in this, obviously the whole Victor Creel or elements and and Steve and Co. Obviously investigating that because I loved pretty much every arc in this. There's only one kind of storyline which surprisingly was revolving around the Elevens that kind of did take me out of the show a little bit. But I will come to that. I say when we do get there. Massive shout as well, sorry to Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein who obviously have composed the music for the past four seasons of Stranger Things. I own every single vinyl that that that's come out from Stranger Things. Me and my fiance, obviously, we love the show. We've picked up everything from, obviously, all the soundtracks to B-side vinyls that have not made, tracks that have not made it, sorry, into Strange Things. And I feel that Carl Dixon and Michael Stein, yet again, have done a tremendous job with the score in season four. They would go from playing out the classic sounds for Strange Things, but then they'd, like, kind of fade it out and bring in the chimes coming in from the grandfather clock, obviously, which is what we know is the first sign that Vecna's pretty much coming for you and that your time and number is, is pretty much up. But I would love that. The use of the chimes when it'd just all fade out and it'd have like a you know like a spacey kind of feel to it just adding that fear to the scene just the just the slow chimes from this grandfather clock you know it could be really nice bright and happy out there and everyone's having a grand old time and then suddenly everything just goes dark you hear that chime and you're suddenly taken to a nightmare sequence i thought it was so well executed the score is absolutely phenomenal if anything more just go out and i'm sure people have done already but go out listen to every single series soundtrack because it is absolutely wonderful what they've done you know dixon and stein is non short of remarkable i absolutely love the opening theme as everyone else does but the music throughout strange things has been something that i absolutely just get goosebumps from and there's always one track in particular where i'm like oh my word that was remarkable so yeah i absolutely loved loved that um as i stated at the start that our heroes are scattered everywhere you know hawkins russia california we even i think end up in in indiana as well is it indiana brenner's back as well this season it's just nice to see how all of these stories are happening simultaneously, but they all lead to the same goal, to the same end game. Whether they don't realise they're helping each other, which is something that I thought was great. I think that we did focus a lot on certain sides of 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 the of these stories. I think that 
you know, Will and Jonathan and such, you know, they were sidelined an awful lot. Mike as well, to an extent, they were sidelined an awful lot in this season. But it's not necessarily a say wasn't a bad thing. Like I didn't feel like, oh, well, I feel like we're missing out on something. I do feel that the Duffer brothers have got a goal. They've got to get you know an end game in sight. Of course they have. They're leading up to the final season, being season five, and I'm sure that Will will have more of a prominent role in season five. Because if you think about it with Will's character, he's not had the best of four, you know, he's not had the best time as it in, in Hawkins or wherever he is. He's always seems to be just, just leave him alone. You know what I mean? Like the, the upside down is to just leave him alone. But I do feel that, you know, now he's getting that sense back, obviously knowing that Vecna is still out there. I do feel there's something more because obviously the, the, the similarities and comparisons between, you know, a young Vecna, which was Henry Creel to Will is staggering, you know, very shy, very, very quiet, keep themselves themselves i feel that something could happen with that i'm not going to get bogged down into too many theories but there's a there's a you know there's an argument to say that maybe vecna will use will almost as like a uh, body per se to possess almost and to, to kind of take over consume and maybe go on from there but again i'm not getting bogged down into too many too many theories uh, within this um what i what, what i want to talk about very briefly as well before we jump onto like the lights of like vecna and such is that I absolutely loved the horror elements of this. The horror has been ramped up hugely in season four, whether it was the actual deaths, the visions that Vecna was putting into his victims, all of those transitions were brilliant. You know, the kids could be here, there, everywhere. Just go, Like you say, his victims could be just going about their, their regular routine. Suddenly, they're taken back to a memory that's absolutely horrifying, like the likes of, you know, the, the car crash or whatever, or, or anything like that. The, the deaths that happens to the teenagers, though, are straight-up nightmare fuel. You know, bone snapping out of place, like jaws being pulled from one side to the other, and then next thing you know, their eyes are gone. It just looks like the life has been sucked out of them. It's like, like by a hoover. Like, you know what I mean? Like, straight up out like a hoover. Just nightmare fuel. Absolutely just... It, I was, it was amazing to watch, and it's nice to see that darker tone come into it, because we've had strange things get gradually darker over the years anyways, but this is like when you can tell that this is a TV show that's growing up with the audience, you know what I mean? A bit like how, and it's a completely different set of series altogether, but you know like how Harry Potter did it, when each film was getting progressively darker and, and more mature, because the audience was getting more mature as well, and they were growing up. I feel that strange things have rep, you know replicated that as well, and, and it's not like it's completely too much too too gnarly to watch or anything i do think it works with this tv show and with this particular character obviously being veteran i do think it works um it's just the horror man was absolutely off the charts like i thought they did such a good job with it the right level of horror but enough to like instill that fear and obviously like concern over out of everyone who is anyone of our heroes gonna gonna have this happen to them ultimately i know that max is one of the last victims that vecna goes for and we do have a a pretty harrowing sequence at the end with max but it was just incredible to watch like i said this this character's vecna how he did his work how he would you know put on those visions and, and get hold of his victims to suck the life out of them almost and i'm interested to see where that will go obviously as well because with every kill as as brenna says he doesn't just kill them; he almost like consumes them. So I'm sure that'll maybe come to play, uh, come to play as well. And I will be coming a little bit more into Vecna, but I just wanted to just give a little bit of a drop there for for the horror in it because I do think it was absolutely, absolutely out of this world. I thought it was really, really excellent. I also thought the cinematography on this series, like I've stated, with terms of the budget because they got so much more money for this series, was just again on on another level. I thought it was so grand. They 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 would use these fast paced close up shots as well of like objects throughout. Which reminded me, obviously, of like how Edgar Wright would do it in his films. Uh, you know, like it'd be like 
could be like a bag of money, for example, like when Murray and Joyce have got the money um, to take to Yuri, obviously, to try and get Hopper back or whatever. You know, they put the bag on the bed or whatever, on the table or something, the camera would focus on that. Then it'd be a fast cut to him opening, zipping it open. It'd be like three sequences almost, you know, bag down, zipped up and money out. It'd do that quite a lot, say, like the likes of when, you know, when uh, Will and Mike and co are using the... Uh, the phone out in the middle of nowhere. They'd, they'd pull out the, it'd be, you know, straight into the phone booth, grabbing the phone uh, off the hook, and start dialing kind of thing. I would love it how it would, how they would do that constantly. It was so fast paced, so fast motion, but even still, so the cinematography on this looks so clean and crisp. You know, these fantastic wide shots. They utilize the locations of where they were really well. Like there'd always be a fantastic wide shot of where they were, say, whether, again, if that was following Mike and Will in the Mike and Will, you know, in the pizza van this, with Argyle and such, some great wide shots there. They'd come into frame, obviously, that way. Whether we're in Russia, so much to see. Like, the, you know, each location and each set piece is absolutely staggering, you know what I mean? Like, I can, you just can't believe that this is, this is the same show we've been following for so long because we are in such grander scales um you know the constant spinning of upside down as well there's a great use of that as well when Eleven's trying to escape from the lab that she's in with Brenner um, and she's running down the corridor away and the camera just rotates around and such I loved all of that I thought they'd done such a great job just terrific stuff uh, with the cinematography like some of the you know like you've only got to look at one of the best shots of the sequence where you've got the kids in the right side up riding their bikes away from the parents obviously in episode seven and then it'd flip the camera, follow him upside down, and then we'd cut into the upside down, and we'd have Steve, Robin, Nancy, and Eddie on their bikes as well. Like it was just that flipping between Hawkins and the upside down was just wonderful. Like I said, I thought they they they've utilised everything. They you know they've not wasted anything whatsoever. A good amount of money, as I say, has been pumped into this, but they've utilised it so well. And I feel that the story does benefit from this uh, this huge scale. Granted, obviously, the main issue you could argue is that. There is so, even for me as a obviously trying to do this podcast, there is so much that happens in this series that trying to remember every little detail or whatever, it's going to be easy to forget. There's things, like I said, I've watched it twice now and I'm still like kind of picking up on things that I may miss the first time around, but even so, like trying to remember like maybe small details, it, it, it just, there's, there is a lot, you know what I mean? Like you could argue that the series as a whole is a little bit overstuffed, but it has got some absolute gems of some stuff in here. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, the, the main things for me that I love the most about this series, say obviously aside from like the score and the cinematography and how the the whole vibe of the show and the, the tone and such was excellent. You know, new characters in there like Eddie, like I'm looking for, I can't wait to talk about Eddie. <laughs> I mean, like I can't wait to talk about Eddie. Uh, but you know, this villain of Vecna, absolutely incredible you know and and even even the likes of like hopper who's been an og character from the get-go they've managed to kind of start him again you know what i mean like he you know lost pretty much everything or at least he's in a hopeless state at the end of season uh, sorry but when we find him sorry season four after almost like a chapter of his life ultimately nearly closing at the end of three because how you know? How would he know that he was a going to survive what happened at the end of season three, and b get out of this Russian prison? You know what I mean? Like it's they managed to start that character again. So there's a lot, like I say, with these, and there's a ton of other new characters as well. So obviously, other than Eddie, you've got the you've got the Argyle character as well, which I, I don't mind Argyle. I thought it was a little bit too cliche at times, a little bit just you know dialed up. A lot of the characters in this series I did find were dialed up to eleven. You know, you look at the Jock, Jason. Oh my God, I hate that guy so much. Like, again, you know, more of like a character that we we want to hate. You know, you love to hate those kind of characters. But I felt that a lot of them were dialed up to, to 11, for pun intended. But you know what I mean? I did feel that it was just sometimes a little bit overboard, overkill. 
Um, but then, like I said, they did so much with some of the characters that we we loved dear, you know, like Murray and such. I thought was just excellent in this series. But just coming back to Vetna because I'm gonna have to start here because you know I mean he's the big bad of the show. I feel that he's he's a great villain. Something that I think that the show needed because all of the all of the monsters that we've ever dealt with in Stranger Things, you know, the Demogorgon, Shadow Monster, Demodogs, this and the other. Now we've got Demobats. They've all been entities and creatures that we can't interact with unless they're kind of they've got a host you know we've had billy speaking on behalf of the mind flayer we've had will as well obviously which was very eerie very creepy obviously love that whole possession side of things that they they followed in strange things season two but to have an actual you know villain that we can sit and actually hear their plans what you know just just to be communicating with our heroes was something that i feel that the show definitely needed and it definitely worked so well and i felt that the layers of Vecna and what we learn about him, because obviously he's, he's not only Vecna, he is Henry Creel, he is number one essentially as well. There is so much within that character that got him to this point. Obviously his backstory with Eleven as well and how that all started. I, I really can't praise the Duffer Brothers for that writing. And, and obviously the performance as well, because in terms of encapsulating that character, um, I just feel that it was something something else, you know what I mean? Like, I felt that Jamie Campbell Bauer as Henry Creel won Vecna. Just his performance, his performance in this was, whether it was under makeup, under the prosthetics, whether it was him playing, obviously, Henry Creel, or, or the, well, number one, we should say, at that point, in you know in in the lab in the laboratory the sequences in the rainbow room with eleven just absolutely outstanding absolutely bloody outstanding like I easily one of the best one of the best performers of this series and something and and obviously as a fan of the show obviously you know concerning of what they're going to do with the final series I was just so thankful that they didn't just kill him off in this like I did I did feel like it would be a bit too. Um, It'd be a bit strange to kill off this big bad, obviously, because it was like, is he like just a puppet for the Mind Flayer? Is he not? But no, it turns out he is the chap that essentially started everything in motion. You know, he's the one that created the Mind Flayer, essentially. Oh, well, not created, but, you know, put him in that spider spider form or whatever and, and then, you know, made the upside down, should we say. But absolutely unbelievable. It's such a great villain. And, and I've stated before, I love how they made him practically great prosthetics and well well to say done for obviously the, the the work with the prosthetics rather than having him as cgi because i would have felt that it would have took something away it brings him out more like i say he's so much more menacing like intimidating to look at him obviously to see those scars and the tentacles obviously which i know that they were added cgi at the end obviously with with the tentacles and his neck and such but to see him just walking around with that huge hand claw it, it just absolutely unbelievable how he looks and it's so intimidating. Like I said, the design for him is very Freddy Krueger. Obviously, I know that they said it was a mix of Freddy Krueger and Pennywise. You can see that, obviously, more so Freddy Krueger, right down to that hand, that one hand that he's got, which looks very much like Freddy Krueger's glove from Nightmare on Elm Street. I loved the design of him and there's some great, as I say, field, uh, great, great work, sorry, out there online of, of concept art of what he could have potentially looked like. But I think that they've got him so nailed on because he was so intimidating to say, so scary to look at. And you can tell that obviously that they've had a lot of fun with that, especially on set by, by having him there, not like in a green suit, not blue suit, by having him fully there, I, I would imagine it would have brought out so much more for our lead characters, obviously Millie Bobby Browns and your Maxes, etc., to be able to have, you know, more of a believable performance alongside him. And it's the same with the set as well, obviously, because the set could have very well easily been CGI, but you again may have seen the set photos as well. Vecna's layer, for example, everything was there. Like, yes, again, added CGI at the end, little bits, you know, once the shots had all been done. 
But these sequences, obviously, of you know Max first entering the lair, obviously, the it just made it everything feel so much more real, and and I just felt that everything worked so well behind that. Like I love that wide shot when Max first gets in there, sees Vecna's lair for the first time, that use of blood red everywhere. It's it just enhances everything. Really, really excellent stuff. I felt that it, if they'd have gone, yeah, I'm sure they'd have pulled it off. You know, you, you can see where they've worked with the CGI and such within the show, the Duffer Brothers, but, you know, practical is better. You know what I mean? Like, they had, like to get those sets nailed on, to get Vecna looking as intimidating as he was by using real prosthetics, by not having him as CGI, only made the show, only made this series, sorry, even grander and greater. And this whole Nightmare on Elm Street inspiration homage, for me, was just absolutely, absolutely, I, I embraced it, you know what I mean? Because Nightmare on Elm Street is probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest horror franchise for me anyways that is on my on a personal opinion i love the franchise i think freddy krueger is an iconic uh iconic character as, as rightly should be but like i say the the nightmare on elm street uh, the the nightmare on elm street uh homages and such like the first kill for stephanie in front of eddie literally the same you know same as the first kill in nightmare on elm street such a great inspiration for, for you know behind that obviously having her be lifted up to the ceiling and, and thrown about and such, and then having obviously a you know the kill happen, obviously the bones breaking this that and the other, just shocking. Like I, I felt it's so terrifying. Like he literally can attack you anywhere, and I think that's again something very Kruger like. Obviously, you know, I, I guess the the flip side of Freddy Krueger is he attacks you in your dreams, whereas Vecna doesn't even need that. So on some level, he's even more terrifying than Freddy Krueger. You know, it, there's something so eerie about like how. You know, for example, you look at when Dustin's telling Eddie about the Upside Down and then we get to see, like, the flashing between the Upside Down and Vecna in his lair just doing his business or whatever. And the music as well, and just all adding to this very, very terrifying moment. I just thought that he literally say, he, he, he as much as it is inspirational from from Kruger, take nothing away from the, the like, almost originality of this because he can get you wherever you want um, and just finally, my last touch on that Renelm Street homage is I would say that the boiler room as well in episode seven, when Henry, uh, when num- when number one meets eleven, in their plot to escape, all of that I was like, this is just great. But like, just just the way that Vecna's just like following like characters when Chrissy I think is first in the the house, obviously with Vecna walking down those stairs, the silhouette of him, it's just Freddy Krueger. You know, it's literally something from Nightmare on Elm Street. I was like, this is this is amazing. Obviously, on top of that, you've got an amazing story for Vecna. And his motives behind it all, like the origin for him, is unbelievable. It's so wild, um, you know. Finally, get an explanation why Hawkins is the center of everything. We find out, obviously, that Vecna would essentially, you know, he created, as I say, what would be the mind flare. That that sequence of him having been banished to this upside down from by eleven, obviously. But this is like I say, I go here, there, and everywhere, listeners. So just stay with me. But like, you know, having him that character that's the one you know how he's like walking through this this new this new world obviously all burnt scarred and the other sees this these particles and and you know puts that into the mind flare having you know gone over his obsession with the spiders and black widows as a youngster um i just thought that was great like i genuinely did think that the whole backstory of him being unhappy as, as a child being happy with mundane life and humans and how he felt there should be more to life and discovering he had powers he was able to read other people's uh, minds and see their secrets and then once he'd seen obviously what his father had done within the war obviously he was in uh, he was in france i think it was world war one when he'd ordered say a raid or whatever on on a particular a particular whereabouts that he thought was helmed with 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 opposition soldiers turns out it wasn't it was just full of obviously just like normal citizens ended up 
killing a, a baby, obviously, within within its crib. Obviously, we get that horrifying moment of him seeing in his vision the crib on fire, rocking away. That was it. It was enough for him to just be like, I'm just going to take the family out. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to... He, was, he, was, he gets, you know, gets his father blamed for it. He's, you know, with his powers, he just exhausted him so much that he nearly died. But obviously, so that's why he couldn't finish his father off. Um, it was very amateurville horror that as well. I felt like you know this whole house and the whole them thinking that there was a demon in. Obviously, that that's the side of the that's the other side of this uh, this whole series that I love so much was the investigation, Robin and Nancy, you know, going to the library, or whatever, through the research on the Creel killings and working that out. But I did feel that you know the use of those flashbacks to go back to that to that era in the sixties or whatever it was. I thought was wonderful. Like it's like I said, very amateurville horror and having him then locked away in a mental institute. The whole montage of that that the course of the series in terms of the the details that we were drip fed throughout, really really excellent. And then when the pieces do fall together and you realise obviously, you know Henry Creel, son of son of Victor, is number one is Vecna. You just sat there like, well my God, like as if you know because we could all try and guess what was going to happen, but I just felt like just to follow it and just to enjoy it as that was being unfolded. Like I, it was something that, that strange things hadn't done before. I said, because we had our characters split off doing something else, obviously without the lights of 11, you know, you've got the, you've got the group of obviously Dustin, Nancy, Steve, Robin, um, obviously trying to help Eddie as well with Max and Lucas. I felt that that was such a great, such a great story to follow this, this, like I said, they're just trying to work out very Sherlock Holmes esque as to this, this, this tragedy that happens for Creel and his family, how that is tying in with the Upside Down and particularly with Vecna, I felt that it was just really compelling to watch, really interesting, really intriguing. Dark as well, because like I say, like, it really, really was dark. Having this young child, almost like a, an omen-esque, you know what I mean? Having this power to, like, well, as you've seen, kill off the family and then and then Brenner takes him in, kind of, makes him number one. Um, I just liked seeing all of that unfold and just to see... Every step of the way, obviously, because we're only like, you know, we, we meet we meet number one, you know, as, as like a, an assistant, should we say, in the lab when Eleven goes through those flashbacks in the Nina system. I just liked finding out these things as they were drip-fed to us. And I do feel that Vecna was such a compelling character. And like I've stated before, Jamie Campbell-Bauer absolutely nailed his performance. Like, just with the way he would like manage to like shape his eyebrows or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, when he goes from this lovely, charming, nice, warm character like when we introduced him for the first time the older version of Henry before we actually know who he is in that rainbow room I felt something was off with him from the get-go you know when he's all like hello uh, look who's finally decided to join us hello sleepyhead this that and the other there was something kind of creeping me out about him like I felt that there could be maybe a tie with Vecnam potentially there um he was very kind to Eleven you could sense that he in a way was testing her to see whether she could potentially be an ally for him but I just there was something just a little bit off with him that I wasn't sure about. But then it was like the more we saw of him, the, that that kind of shift and dynamic and um, kind of strained relationship, should we say, between him and Brennan. You knew that Brennan wasn't fully happy with him for something or another. Like it, it almost like the trust wasn't fully there. Like you know when they're doing like the other tests with the subjects with the other students of the lessons. You know while they're all being studied, doing mini battles against one another. There's that you know kind of extra alliance between older Henry and Eleven uh, that Brenner probably doesn't like, obviously doesn't want his subjects to become what essentially happened to Henry because he had to put the chip in him obviously to kind of contain him down a little bit, not to be able to use all his powers, to be able to track him because there's definitely not that trust there. And you felt that, like I say, that Brenner was very wary of him 
um, albeit obviously doesn't want to lose him, you know what I mean? Because he's a powerful ally to have uh, and definitely don't want to turn him into uh, obviously the villain of the piece, which obviously is what he does. But I did like that kind of shift, you know, between the two of them. There was something there that wasn't that wasn't right and you just felt, that, like I said, at that moment when, when Eleven does win that battle between number two, I think it was, that you know this 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 young this blonde guy was obviously helped her you know what I mean older Henry had helped her um, it was just nice to see like I say a friendship between those two something that obviously Eleven had repressed and something that she could only find out by using the Nina system but you know it was all nicey nicey twisting her opinion on Papa as well in terms of you know that sequence like I say in episode seven it is when they're playing chess. Um, and he's starting to just manipulate a more, just weave his way in to say, look, this is a prison, you know, this is, everyone here is a prisoner, not just you, not just me, but, you know, the other staff members, the security as well, this is not okay, Brenner is the bad guy, we should actually, you know, you should escape, you should get out, and then once she removes that chip from him in that boiler room, you just knew things were going to go tits up. You just knew. And, and like I say, hats off to Jamie Campbell, but I can't praise him enough. And so there's a ton of fantastic performances, but I do feel that he did such a fantastic and, and staggering job, you know what I mean, in terms of being this big bad, being the villain. But but not only that, being like a night, you know what I mean, going from this kind of mis, almost like misunderstood character that's had, you know, done some pretty bad things in, in the course of his life, but obviously by being brought in with Brenner and being, you know, again, being one of the first, well, the first test subjects, you can tell it's like almost, he wanted more, you know, Vecna, uh, sorry, I should say that, that Henry wanted more from life. He didn't like everything. So I think that it's a gift that he was, it's a blessing, sorry, that he was given this gift of all these powers. But I think that the fact he's been almost, you know, taken advantage of is enough. And obviously a prisoner as well, to the extent, is enough to kind of, push him down that route of there can only be him. He then goes off on this absolute bloody massacre and kills all these kids once the chip's been destroyed. And it's like that, you know what I mean? Like what, what just he's, he's now full on evil. You know what I mean? Lovely and warm towards 11 when they first meet twists everything as much as he can do, but he's a genuinely, genuinely terrifying villain, genuinely terrifying. Um, and Vecna say once he is in that full, that full form, full Vecna form, uh, I, I was just absolutely blown away. So to see that transition as well, to see Eleven, you know, when she says no, uh, obviously when he's asked to join her, pushing him against the wall, Hamar obviously nodding back to obviously the first Stranger Things season when she takes out the Demogorgon, pushing him in. And I like the fact that the season starts with this. You know, we start with the aftermath of the massacre. We don't really know. We just think that Eleven has just ended up killing all these kids as a youngster. Brenda's obviously seething by it, but then we learn obviously more about it. And then even like those blanks as well, obviously the fact that Brenna has been using all along from the get-go, the, 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 obviously Eleven and such, to try and find Henry to find out where he ended up in this other alternate dimension, I thought was great. I thought it was a really nice touch to it as well. Like I say, it's filled in blanks, filled in these gaps that we didn't know that, that were there. You know what I mean? It was just, it's one of those where I have a big thing with TV or, or films, whatever, you know, sequels that is, try and force in, you know, different plot points, different things, different ideas or, or like, stuff that happened in the past that, whoa, we didn't know about this, this, and this. But when it's forced, it's clear that it's forced. When it's not and it flows naturally, it's this, you know what I mean? Like, and I think that the Duffer brothers, they have thought about, you know what I mean? They were like, they've always, they've always said they wanted a big bad in Stranger Things, obviously with Mind Flayer being one of them, but they, there was always going to be someone that would be like that general that Dustin mentions or whatever, and this is Vecna. It's just great to see that over the years they've been able to think, right, okay, well, this is how that's going to fit in, this can how this fit in. It all just flows really, really excellently well. 
Um, and I felt that Vecna, like I say, was just absolutely incredible. It requires four kills to be able to take to bring the upside down to the right side up. Um, the details presented by Brenner as well when he's going over that and discussing that with with Eleven, you know, amplifying that with the pencil and, and talking about, you know, there's going to be cracks and everything breaks. You know, that was great as well. That, that really kind of cemented as well in episode eight just what could potentially be happening to Hawkins if everything does go wrong. Granted, that is what essentially happens. We do get the cracks, we do get everything, we do get hell on Earth. I just felt that the, the stakes of the seeds were so high and having someone so menacing, so terrifying, so evil and, and so like straight up twisted as, as Vecna, you know, like it's one of those where he can't be reasoned with now. He's too far gone that point. You know, Eleven tries doing that in season, in episode nine when she's saying, you know, you're not the monster Papa is, but he's like, no, this is, this is, this is who I am now. Like, I wanted you to join me now. I just want you to sit there and watch as I take over. You know, I'm, I'm going hell for leather now. I do think it was, he's such a great, but I can't, I'm so glad they didn't kill him off. You know what I mean? I'm so glad. I, I thought it was epic and a fantastic sequence to have Nancy and Steve and, and Robin you know, set him alight, this, that, and the other. Thought that was amazing. All of that plan was great. Obviously, it doesn't all go to plan, but most of which does does work out for them. They know that, obviously, just like Elle, when she's doing, when she's entering and, and going into the trance, should we say, to air quote, she's, she's uh, her physical presence is in a very vulnerable state, as to his Vecna, while he's doing his thing, while he's, you know, it's hooked into his tentacles and, and looking for the next victim or, you know, this, that, and the other, or, or like in the last episode, he's fighting in his mind, obviously, um, obviously, or in Max's mind, I should say, against Eleven, um, that he is in a, his physical state is in a vulnerable is in a vulnerable position. That's where they try to get him. That's where they think they're going to get him. And it's, again, it's that kind of, like, classic horror trope of the villain's on fire. He's, he looks like he's going to be taken out. The, our heroes are going to win. He's fell out of a window. Let's go see if the body's there. No, it's gone. It's classic move, isn't it? It's something that I was like, so happy. I was like, he can't be dead. He can't be dead. No, he's definitely not. He's going to be here in season five. I thought that they just did so well with Vecna. I'm probably going to be talking a bit more about him as well over the course of this episode, a bit more, I say. But the main thing is, is that, yeah, big fan of him and just how, how he w has worked into the story has been uh, has been excellent. So let's jump to our our main hero. Let's talk about Eleven's storyline in this one because she goes through an awful lot this series. Obviously, there's there's also you know there's there's not only her relationship with Mike, obviously that's on a bit of a, a bit of a bit of a tester, should we say? Like obviously almost a breaking point. But she's also you know reunited with uh, with Brenner, you know with Papa, uh, having ultimately believed he was dead at the end of season one. Um, I do believe that the Duffer brothers did say all along that he. They did. They were going to plan on bringing him back. I'm sure I've read that years ago as well. That the plan was eventually to bring him back. Um, I just didn't think it would be. I thought if anything it'd be flashbacks. I didn't think it would be the fact he survived the demagogue attack. But you know, we didn't actually see a body. We didn't see that. So I guess they're following that whole uh, that old TV trope. But I just felt that yeah, like I I I enjoyed certain parts of a of a you know of of, of L story. I didn't enjoy all of it. I think that. You know, having her going through a lot of struggle in this new this new area that she's in, as I say, that the new city that she's in, um, you know, being bullied, this, that, and the other. I thought that all of that was was going to build to something, um, maybe more so, maybe build towards her gaining her powers back. I didn't exactly know it would in in the way that it did, because ultimately it does. You know, she 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 you know retaliates against the bully, gets arrested for it, then gets picked up. You know, uh, by by the Hawkins lab co. Um, 
Dr. Owens, that is as well. Great to have him back. I thought that was excellent. I absolutely love, again, love having uh, Sam Owens in. Uh, he's kind of like the good cop to Brenner's bad cop, the two doctors there. But um, I thought, yeah, really great having those. But sorry, Eleven's story, I felt was a little bit, as I say, she's struggling to cope with the, the new life that she has. The bullies in this were absolutely horrendous and they deserve everything that they got. You know what I mean? Like the fact that she was lying to Mike as well about her life there in the letters, this, that, and the other, you know, it's almost like, to not cause any concern for Mike or that, you know, that she's, she is fitting in well when she's clearly not. She, she states obviously in a later episode after all of that, that no matter where she goes, when she's talking to Mike, when they're having that kind of fallout, that she doesn't fit in. Um, there is a lot of beauty and a lot of heartache in Elle's story this season, you know, with Mike, you know, there are crossroads have said that their relationship's been really tested at this moment and it could break their relationship. You know, she doesn't think that Mike loves her anymore, nor does Mike think that Elle needs her anymore you know what i mean like I, I it's one of those that they've both got fears of losing each other it's like they're pushing each other away when they don't have to do that you know they they couldn't do any they, they both literally couldn't be any more wrong about each other they they love each other they share what they share sorry is too strong and it builds up to that brilliant sequence you know when ellie's in the uh, the freezer in the in the pizza or whatever is the free, freezer of water when she's piggybacking to try and save max and you know will's telling mike you know you have to tell her what you tell her everything tell her that she is the heart as i've stated before you know you, just tell her everything and he has to tell her all that he tells her everything he tells her that he loves her that that she's a superhero she can fly this and the other that he's such a beautiful and touching moment really powerful again amplifies that beauty and that love that they have for each other that, that, that obviously started in season one. You know, he says it himself, my life, you know, changed and started the day that I met you in those woods. It was really lovely. I do, I did like that. I just think that it took us a while to get there, you know what I mean? Because, because as I say, Mike was with the Will and Jonathan, Will and Jonathan story arc of that, you know, they go off to like the likes of Susie and stuff. So a lot of that plot, you know, it does take a while to get there. But I thought that... It was well-paced. It's just that, like I say, there's so much that goes on in the series. Sometimes you're like, oh, God, yeah, these guys, let's, let's, let's look at this. But I thought it was such a beautiful moment, I say, when, when Ellie is, as I say, trying, when she's having this, uh, you know, this battle with Vecna in, you know, in the piggyback situation, I thought that Mike was, um, yeah, it was so strong, so powerful. And their, like I said, their love is so wholesome. It's so lovely. It's just, like I said, uh, like I said before, I felt that Eleven's story was more bumpy in this season. You know, they brought Brenner back, which was, which was interesting enough, which I thought was really great. Nice to see a different side of Brenner as well this series. I did feel that seeing his routine, the start of the very first episode, seeing his routine, sorry, you know, getting up, getting ready for work, doing the crossroad within a matter of seconds, this and the other. I thought it was, um, yeah, nice to see him, that kind of nurturing side of it, you know, like when he's talking to, um, like the other test subjects and such, like I did feel that it was great to see that side of him. Overall, he is the still same Brenner that we know from season one. He's not a nice chap at all. But by showing him with that routine and how he is, you know, I, I I thought that it was it was we've seen a little bit more of his character that I didn't think that necessarily the Duffer Brothers were going to let us see, because he was caring and nurturing. But I was like, maybe he's just like, he does obviously he does care about Eleven. Maybe he is just a little bit misunderstood. I, mean, I know that what he's doing is a set is is essentially wrong. You know, stealing children and then doing experiments on them, this, that, and the other. But, like, I don't know. There was something I was like, there's, there's a bit of a warm fear that I've not seen before, and I'm all for it. You know what I mean? Like, I do think that this... You know, fair enough. But then he just turns out he's just an absolute douche still. You know what I mean? Like, we we get to see all of those, like, flashbacks and this, that, and the other with the other children, uh, the other such. And, like, you know, he is... He has got that sadistic side of Brenner, whether that, like I say, is him tasering, 
you know, number one after he realizes, you know, he was helping Eleven, this, that, and the other. There was always tension between those two. But the way that it was as well with the other kids after the attack on Eleven, you know, when he's punishing number two in particular for the attack on Eleven in the Rainbow Room, like there is that side of him there. And of course, he lets us all down by thinking, you know, after after Sam Owens, as I say, the, the, the good cop to Brennan's bad cop, he's like, you know, we said all along this is going to be Eleven's choice. Should she want to come and do this, or, you know, to get her powers back? She's making a choice now and you're not listening to it. You're thinking, this is it. Brennan's finally had the slap around the face that he needs, you know, the kind of like putting in his place, like you can't go around controlling and deciding what she does. And then he's like, well, I'm going to lock you in anyways. And I'm going to, you know, get get Sam Owens, you know, chained up or whatever. Security will hold on to him. You're doing this whether you like it. You know what I mean? I just, I was like, oh, for God's sake, Brennan. But then even after all of that, when you're like, this guy is an absolute douche, I'm still like pretty getting a bit of a sad moment when he's shot you know, and he dies. It's like, it takes about three bullets or whatever it is. I was like, oh, I'm, why am I sad that this has happened? Obviously that moment when it's almost like he's, he's saying goodbye to Eleven. He's letting her go into the world. He's done his bit as, as, as every father has to, you know, there's a point when you have to let your children go. That is that moment. It's, it's a strange one because I feel like I shouldn't have cared as much about his death than what I did. But I was like, I'm pretty good. Cause he was, you know, absolutely fantastic. You know, Matthew Modine, that plays Brenner, as I say, I thought, incredible. But yeah, gutted that he went, weirdly, weirdly gutted that he went. But back to, sorry, the 11 sequence, obviously, with the with the Nina situation. It's one of those, like, I do, I, it just, it took a little bit of sting out of the story for me a little bit. Like, everything was kicking off elsewhere. You know, you've got Dustin and co. trying to protect Eddie, trying to work out what Vetna's doing. You know, Nancy and that, working out with the whole Victor Creel storyline. Russia, obviously, with Hopper, which I will come to as well. I will come to Hopper again, obviously, don't you worry. That's all kicking off as well. Obviously, Joyce and Murray going all the way over there to try and save him. Then we'd come to like this Nina situation, and I was just like, I don't, I don't know. Like it's, I just, I felt pulled out of it a little bit. I don't know if anyone else thought that. I know they needed to kind of do the, they needed to break us from like the action pace and and the fast, sorry, the fast pace and all the action sequences, this, this, that, and the other. And it is a case of the Duffer Brothers not rushing things. And I have to respect that because it's not it's not like the Duffer Brothers went, oh yeah, she's woke up, she's got her powers again. The Duffer Brothers are so good at creating story and so good at, you know, writing these scripts that I just I I I appreciate what they were going for. I appreciate what they're doing there. It wasn't a case, like I said, that she she just got them, you know, she had to she has to work for them again. She's got to find, she's got to go through all these repressed memories, this, that, and the other, which is obviously which all of this does, you know, come back to the the Henry the number one Vecna storyline anyways. Um, but I did feel that when, you know, she, she we were just kind of as a bit of a slog at times, just these Nina sequences. It was just a bit like, let's just, if we just cut a little bit out, because like I said, these episodes were so long and so much that I was like, if they just remove just something out of this, maybe maybe it'll tick along a bit nicer. Uh, but like I said, only nitpicking, taking nothing away because it all it all came, you know, it all worked out anyway. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's all there for plot. It wasn't just filler. It was important for the plot. And this is the thing, like I keep saying, the Duffers are amazing at telling a story. So I was just like, okay, it's a little bit slower, but I will take it as it is. You know, it led though to like an absolute fantastic visual on screen of Eleven taking down the military, uh, the, the helicopter with the military chaps on after obviously Papa's been shot and such. Just showcasing once again the budget that this season had. I thought that it was marvellous, you know what I mean? Um, and just, just wonderful to watch. This whole subplot as well, uh, like with with the military thinking that Eleven is obviously like a bit of a puppet for Brenner and Haw and the Hawkins lab. You know they think she's gone rogue and that she's killing all these kids. It's like a lot of these characters that are like villains in it. 
the, like I said, they're just they're just so dialed up. They're, they're, yeah, it's intense, obviously, whether they were going to catch her or not or anything like that. But it's a bit like I was thinking about with the whole Jason thing. Like it's just that every villain is it's just they're just cranked up to eleven a little bit. And it's sometimes it's great, and sometimes I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see the the anger and the frustration these characters are going through. But sometimes I was like, oh my god, they're getting borderline cartoony in this. And I know that like again we're homaging like eighties cinema or whatever eighties film. You know what I mean? But I just at times got again that took me out of it a little bit again. And this is only nitpicks. I'm going to talk about Jason and Co. A little bit later, but especially with the military guy, I can't remember his name, but I did feel that it was, um, yeah, just at times I was like, eh, this guy's, uh, yeah, he's torturing someone. Like, what's he, what's he, what's he doing? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, come on. Um, but yeah, I thought the Eleven storyline was pretty, like I say, it led to fantastic visual, let's say, with the helicopter being taken down. The moments at the end, obviously, Millie Bobby Brown's performance when she thinks, obviously, and saves, well, at first Max does die, but brings her back kind of thing. I thought it was so, so strong, like really strong. Um, both Millie Bobby Brown and, and, and Sadie Sink absolutely nailed their performances this series. It was just unbelievable. Uh, really, really excellent. Speaking of Max, uh, while we're on her, obviously, I'll just go out and say that I thought she was probably the best written character this season. I thought that her dealing with the grief, the loss of her brother, you know, Billy, um, just really strong, really well performed. Again, written so well by the Duffer brothers. The struggle that leads to obviously the standoff with Vetner, absolutely the sequence of her, you know, running with, with, with running up the hill, escaping his lair is just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Like Sadie Sink shined so much in this series. You know, that letter that she reads Billy by his grave is incredibly powerful and emotional and you feel every line that she delivers, there's so much pain and so much baggage that she's carrying on. Like and it's and it's and it's perfect for Vecna to take advantage of because that's what he does. He targets people with like PTSD who are going through anything like that. They're giving them like severe headaches and that and the other. Perfect for like Vecna to attack you know she's the forefront of this season along with Elle I would say Max is definitely the the forefront and sadly obviously she is the last victim for Vecna you know, he, you know so you know they utilize by her escape and obviously she's like right we'll come up with a plan we'll utilize it that we can take advantage by making me the bait to draw Vecna you know and then having her sat down obviously we've already had a very very powerful sequence with her reading that letter to Billy which was so moving so touching and so lovely then to have that moment where she uses real emotion of how she felt towards Billy all those years, obviously, because Vetna's like saying, oh, you know, or I think it was Vetna as Billy saying, you wanted me to die or whatever. It, it was either Vetna saying it directly to her saying, you wanted your brother to die, or it was Billy in that in that moment, in that in that um, vision that she was seeing. Um, and then by her having that actual, you know, genuine moment of her sat down in Vetna's, in, in the Creel house saying, I did. I, I wished him dead all the time. Like I wished when I was growing up that he did have a stupid car accident and that this, this, you know, that, that he would be out of my life. You know, she's been carrying that around with her as well. So it's not only like, you know, the, the, the grief of, of loss, but it's the grief of her emotions as well. Almost like she's sat there. Like I used to think this, which was wrong, but we all have those kind of moments. We all look back when we lose someone and think maybe if I'd have done something a bit differently, or like something else to, 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 amplify you know that i did love them so much more kind of thing it, i wish i could i wish i could change something but i thought it was really strong i thought that she was ultimately one of the best characters if not the best character in this series it was absolutely amazing i, I thought that sadie sink deserved the nomination for something at least but you know sadly it wasn't to be um like i've stated in the in the finale she does fall victim to vetna um but not before she goes out with some outstanding performances and set pieces where she finds herself you know like in the snowball sequence when she's been hunted by Vetna, you know, that said, that's the place that she goes to, to feel safe, obviously to, to get out of those 
horrible and horrifying memories or whatever that Vetna is trying to push upon her once again. That intense sequence of, you know, Vetna almost making that final kill. You know, we've got Lucas being tackled by Jason and they're having a scrap and it's like, just get out of the way, mate. Like, just, you know what I mean? Like, it's so, like, frustrating because Lucas, again, is another character that, that I feel this season has gone so up, up and down. Like, he was obviously trying to be... You know, with the popular kids trying to get in with the basketball team, this, that, and the other, kind of, you know, the friendship was fracturing almost because he didn't want to be, like he said, he didn't want to be bullied anymore. Caleb McLaughlin, who plays Lucas, I think, did a standout job once again. I think he had, you know, uh, some some great screen time, but also got to kind of, I don't know, showcase his, his acting talents more so in this series. You know, we've got a lot of humour in there as well, sprinkling, and his line delivery is always excellent as well, but... You know, I did feel that he was a real, again, another high point of the series. Because, like, that moment, again, just coming back to Max, when this, when they're, when she gives him the letter and, obviously, they're walking up to... Uh, she's going to the grave, I think, just before she reads the letter to Billy. And he's like, I don't need a letter. I don't want a letter. I, I, I see you now. Like, I wasn't there. You did nothing wrong. I was in the wrong, but I see you now. Again, lovely moment. And, and noting, obviously, and cementing that... Their, their their love for each other again just like obviously in the later of the series with Mike, with Mike and Eleven I just felt again I felt that connection there and, and it was amplified even more so by having just a little uh, little motif of running up that hill playing in the background slowly like Lucas knows he messed up there man like he, he was just like this is the, you're the person that I want I want to be and so obviously by almost losing Max again at the end both performances in that sequence, like Lucas's horror is absolutely staggering. Like, you know, I know there's been a lot of improvising as people have shared online and such, but they just you could feel like that he was just running with that emotion, you know, like Max, you know, saying that she doesn't want to die, I'm not ready to die yet, this, that, and the other. She's broken bone, blind, bleeding from the eyes kind of thing. Like, really, really powerful and so emotional, you know, Lucas just crying out for help. Um, both of them, it's just brilliant brilliant in that sequence but, but yeah max really really was a, a massive massive green tick for me in terms of performance i thought i say this thing was incredible and i think it's uh, i think it's outrageous that she's not been nominated for anything whatsoever and just sticking with obviously this uh, the hawkins group i think it's probably better just to jump to obviously like nancy dustin steel i know i've mentioned it like i say we've been discussing all sorts so far on this podcast in terms of the characters but there's so many of them and i am obviously saving like a few till till the end in particular like the like the Russia sequence or whatever, but still, the, like I said, there's so much that happens in this season. I'm there, like thinking, have I missed anything that I really want to talk about? But I'm going to jump to obviously the whole like investigation detective side. Obviously, the, the 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 likes of obviously like Eddie, for example, who's been blamed for the death of Chrissy, and and then you know how that kind of is being warped and twisted by Jason back in Hawkins about being like a cult-like member or cult-like leader, I should say, the Hellfire Club. That is just a Dungeons & Dragons club, which is the greatest club in the world. As I say. I'm very happy that I've got my Hellfire Club t-shirt, as I'm sure many others as well are fans of that. Like, all of that being twisted and warped. There's so much that's happening back in Hawkins. You know, you've got these kids that are being killed and how that all links back to, like, Victor Creel, which was fantastic to... Um, to have obviously uh, Robert England, the fantastic and brilliant actor Robert England, who played Freddy Krueger, of course, playing uh, Victor Creel, how that all kind of works and and, it, and, he's, and he's towards what's happening with Vecna. Sorry, I think that it was something that I I've said before, like I wasn't necessarily expecting, but I loved so much was like like having Nancy, Dustin, Steve, Robin, uh, Max, and Lucas and Co. and Eddie, you know, all working together, working out what happened, all the deaths that happened in the sixties in the houses, and how that is brought up to uh, up to speeds with 
yeah, with the sorry, brought up to, to up to speed with what happened with with Vecna and such. Um, Stephen Robin, obviously, they're working in the video store now, which is I love where they're working. It's obviously last for Scoops Ahoy. Now we've got them working at the uh, the video store, which was just great for, for like I said, for a film fan such as myself and as many others to look around that video store they worked in and spotting other films, uh, film posters. Like one of my favorites that was in there was the National Lampoon's European Vacation. Uh, there's a Freddy Krueger cardboard cutout. Uh, Gremlins, there's a Gremlins one on the desk as well. I was like, this is great. This is absolutely wonderful. And just like Steve always like ended up being the babysitter. You know, we do get that fantastic shift by by taking Robin away and putting her with Nancy and that whole kind of as it's heavily kind of hinted at throughout that there are feelings and 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 you know I should say um feelings re-emerging should we say from Nancy towards Steve. Steve has always loved her like has always loved her and still does love her as he does stay in the upside down that you know he has never stopped he's had that vision of having kids and that Nancy was the the mother of his kids and that and the other Whereas it's nice to kind of see that Nancy's realising that Steve has also grown up and matured. He's been through so much since we first met him in season one. And most of his actions in season one, like, you think about the whole sequence where, you know, he smashes up Jonathan's camera because he was, like, spying on him. Like, yeah, that's fair enough, you know what I mean? But I, he was he was a bit of a douche. He was very self-centered, very selfish in season one. You know, like, the whole situation with Barb being killed off. He's like, oh, the first thing he thinks of is like, oh, well, God, if my parents, like find out that I've had a party, then I'm in trouble. It's like, but Barb's missing, presumed dead. That's what you're concerned about. You know what I mean? Like it was a complete, he was a complete selfish character that until he kind of having those moments with Dustin, I think that he realized, or yeah, maybe, maybe the first inkling was the fact that he did run back in to try and help Jonathan and Nancy take down the demagogue and, uh, you know, their uh, uh, Will's and Joyce's house, sorry, uh, in season one. I think that was the first moment that we saw a, a shining light almost of like, He's not a bad, he's not all bad. And then it's like ever since then, he's, you know, he's got he's so many people that he cares about. Not only Dusty, but now Robin as well, who is his, one of his best friends. I just love what they've done with Steve. He's definitely, like I said, one of the best characters that's progressed over the season along with Nancy. Um, but Steve, I felt, was going to die in this series. I don't know about anyone else. I think everyone, I think everyone in fairness, thought he was going to die. You know, Netflix are like kind of winding us up as well by having all these banners and posters out being like, oh, protect Steve, this, that, and the other. It's like, well, don't do this to us. What are you trying to do? And even almost like the bit at the end of episode six when they, he goes through the gate in Lover's Lake and then he obviously gets attacked by, th I think it's about three demo, about three or four demo bats. One of them's choking him, got him around the neck. The others are just like having a good old munch on his tummy. Like you're thinking, don't leave us there. Like this cliffhanger of like, it, it, it was one of those where it was like, he's either we're going to start back and he's going to survive it or we're going to start back and it's going to be Steve's dead. <laughs> like Obviously it was, it wasn't the latter. It was a fact that he does get saved obviously by Eddie, Nancy and Robin in the upside down. Um, the demo bats were a cool design as well. I'm not really spoke too much about them, but I did think they were a really cool design. Nice to have another form of, uh, of demo, should we say. Um, but Steve's character, they say, is one that the Duffers have excelled in for me. I think that from from where he's gone from season one, like the douche to the absolute hero that he is, uh, the absolute hero of a babysitter is what I wrote down in my notes. Absolute hero of a babysitter. Get that on a T-shirt. Um, in season four, had he have gone out in season four, it would have been like kind of a great end, I would have thought, to him. Like the fact that he no longer puts himself first because you know that he would have sacrificed himself for someone like maybe the likes of Dustin. Um 
But maybe they're saving that for season five. Maybe if he is to go, it will be season five because he always takes a beating. Let's be honest, doesn't he? Like every season, he's just having his face mashed in. It's quite extraordinary that he's still got like he's able to like function and talk still. You know what I mean? But like this whole thing about him being the, the better person now is amplified even more. So again, obviously, after what happens at the end when because of Vecna getting his four essentially kills and and the upside down seeping into the right side up, you know the town's up in absolute. They don't disarray. They don't have a clue what's going off. People have lost lot everything houses have been destroyed he's there obviously at the the hall the the basketball court or whatever in the school sorry helping out people with who are less fortunate at that moment you know he's he's helping residents of hawkins bringing in clothes bringing in donations sorting things out and anything that he can do to help this is a completely different steve to what we've had in that in that first season it's always been building to this and i think that it's it's again it's that kind of thing where you can look at yourself when you're that when you were that age at school and you think I didn't deal with things really well then or like I was an absolute douche or whatever myself in certain circumstances, but you learn from your mistakes and you grow to be a better person. And I love that moment where like, even though Steve's not got his girl, like he obviously wants Nancy back, he's not got her. He was just so happy to see Robin finally start to get somewhere with her love interest. You know, he's happy to see her. He's like, I've not got my girl, but I'm just so happy that my friend is happy. Even in the midst of all this hell that's breaking loose, I'm really happy that she's uh, that she's got the person that she wants. That she's essentially now going to have that relationship that she's been, you know, striving and wanting all the way through this season. You know, I thought it was really lovely that smile. That was all we needed from Steve at the end. Um, and I, I really liked as well within this group how you know, like with the likes of like Dustin, Lucas, uh, Nancy, Steve, and stuff. When they're telling Eddie everything about the upside down, and like you're gonna think we're sounding crazy when we're telling you this, this and that, but this is true. But also the fact that they would constantly just name drop L all the time and be like, God, things were so much easier when we had Eleven. It was way easier. She had all these powers, this that, and the other. Like I liked the fact that we got to see this Hawkins group have to deal with these situations, these circumstances without the help. Of Eleven, obviously she's elsewhere trying to get her powers back or at least being hunted at the same time. They're also trying to take down Vecna. They're all trying to stride to it, you know what I mean? They're trying to, essentially like Dustin wants to clear Eddie's name in the, in, in this storyline in particular, but also take, see what they can do to take down Vecna. It's like I said at the start, every storyline from Hawkins to, to Eleven storyline, obviously to, to where Will and Co are, to, the, to, to Russia as well, they all have a hand in this overarching story of Vecna and the upside down and how they can stop it this that and, the, and stop stop what what the plan what Vecna's plan is they just don't know it and i thought that was ace i thought it was a really really strong strong um, strong plot point anyways just touching obviously we spoke about Nancy i mean Nancy's always been the leader of the teenagers like she's really grown as a character over the four seasons just as, obviously as much as Steve has but i would say that Nancy's become just such a badass man like seriously like Steve is Steve is a badass of a babysitter you know but Nancy's a pretty badass now like you know she she keeps she's keeping guns she's she's packing you know what i mean like this is this is ridiculous what they've done the same character that was you know a little bit too shy at the first in season 1 like she's now turned into essentially I felt like she looked like Ripley. I don't know about anyone else, but I was like, this is like Ripley from Aliens in that in that last episode with with the with the wardrobe that she had on, the costume she had on, sorry, like the sawn off shotgun when she's running in, throwing all the all the petrol bombs or whatever at Vetna, popping a few shots at him, this and the other. It is amazing to see where Nancy's come from. And I thought it was also really, really excellent that Vetna was the one that showed Nancy the vision um, of what was to happen to Hawkins, obviously his vision of, you know, this army of monsters in Hawkins. It's nice as well because 
Nancy clearly is a, a character name chosen from Nightmare on Elm Street. The lead character, obviously, Nightmare on Elm Street is a Nancy. So I like that as well, that we get that kind of, at least that minor interaction between the Fred Krueger inspiration, obviously, of uh, the, the of Vecna, sorry. And then you've got Nancy in there as well. I thought it was really cool. Obviously, it's like, tell Eleven what you see, this, that, and the other. I thought that was such a great moment. Say something else for Nancy, because it was like, is Nancy going to get is Nancy going to get killed off? You know what I mean? In that moment at the end of, of, uh, of, of episode seven, you know, when she's in that trance again, um, you know, I felt that her friendship with Robin is one that again can shine even more so in season five and excel even more. Like, I think that it was great in this series. You know, there's that kind of like little bit of a uh, little bit of just, it's just jealousy, isn't it? She just thinks that Robin and Steve are a thing and she's got those feelings back for him. It was nice to see that kind of be put to bed and those two be very, very, very good together. Obviously, like, I thought that, you know, the sequence when they're speaking to Victor Creel, obviously Robert England, was so eerie. So Silence of the Lambs as well when they're walking down that corridor in his, in obviously, at the mental institution. I thought that it was a great storyline that Nancy was given once again. She's come so far from the character that we first met in season one. Um, she is shooting up monsters in the upside down, you know what I mean? And obviously who knows what's going to happen in season five because I do know that the Duffer brothers have said that obviously, um, yeah, that they, they want to try and pair up characters with the characters that they were in uh, for season season one. So they want to bring the group back round full circle so yes nancy another fantastic character along with steve i thought that they'd just been given some great storylines as well but i want to talk about my boy eddie munson this guy absolutely oh just what a character you know people we, we always take to the new characters in strange things they always do a, fa a fantastic job you know stand-up job with introducing new characters that we love that they love to kill off and eddie sadly is the one that goes out this season joseph quinn uh portrays eddie munson and and he just i just loved everything about him from the get-go you know that whole sequence the speech at the start like what a new arrival when he's talking to you know when they, when when mike and dustin have to try and talk, tell that lucas isn't going to be joining them for the hellfire club or at least they want to change the um the date that they were doing the hellfire club on so they could go to his basketball like the energy that joseph quinn has uh, as eddie like when he's doing the whole sequence walking around the the cafeteria does the devil logo with his tongue out obviously aiming at, at the the absolute douche that's jason um i just thought he was so good i loved every moment that he was on screen the energy that he brought to it was absolutely amazing um it was just brilliant like i the, the you know you can you get those lovely warm moments with 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 eddie that you didn't get really much with anyone else you know never change dustin or whatever he says to him in 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 episode nine or eight where whichever you know like just he's such a lovely case he's the, he's the character that's in the wrong place at the wrong time when it comes to chrissy being possessed by vetna his performance in that sequence though is shattering and terrifying you can see it you see the fear you feel the fear across eddie's face when he's screaming um and having him as suspect number one for that death is again a great art for his character because i was my fiance was absolutely devastated when he got killed off probably more so annoyed that he got killed off because she like like some of the people said online she was just saying that she felt that it was just unnecessary because it was almost like they were trying to follow that trope of new character gets killed off the new character that you love sorry gets killed off like it doesn't she, she, she was saying it didn't need to happen and and yeah I, I i fully fully get that point where he didn't feel like it needed to happen especially with the way that he went out as well like i was if eddie munson was going to go out after doing that incredible guitar sequence i felt like it had to be something really explosive you know like naturally with this with this character arc it would maybe come to the end 
uh, within this series and that he wouldn't run away anymore, which ultimately did lead to his death, you know, like all the way through, even makes, he says to Dustin at one point when they're near that huge rock or whatever it's called, and he's saying that, and I do the thing that I do now, which is run away. It's constantly been following him, constantly been that black cloud over him throughout the season. Yes, he would no longer run away and he would stand up and face face the demons almost. And sadly, that's 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 what kills him. I think, well, let's be honest, when he threw Dustin back into the right side up and then he chopped the uh, you know the, the, the rope off, should we say, to, to go back in, I think we all knew that this was going to be, that his, his number, again, was up. Um, but, like, yeah, I, I can see why it was. I mean, I was gutted beyond, you know what I mean, that he went, you know, not to run away from that, from that situation that he found himself in the upside down. Like, I, yeah, I get it. I just, I was just gutted. But, like I said, having him as suspect number one for the death of Chrissy, um, you know, he was one of those that he's, it was great that we got to see that he isn't the villain that he was painted at. He's just a kid, wrong place, wrong time. But he never gets cleared of the accusations, which I find heartbreaking. Even after his death, like, he doesn't, he doesn't get his name cleared. He is just straight up, the the suspect of, of of what's happening to Hawkins pretty much like I said because of Jason and the whole mob mentality of having you know this cult devil worshiping or whatever that, that that's following Eddie's Hellfire Club, um, I, I I liked that take of it I I did like it I was gutted and sad that that like I say none of that got cleared up and that people do still on some level maybe think that he is the reasoning behind it all you know like Jason saying oh like. Eddie was pushed too far. He's like, you know, his fancy was playing D and D, and then he just took it too far. And now he's off killing people. But the thing is, obviously, with this whole kind of devil worshiping thing, this was something that did happen back then, and it's easy for someone like Jason, who is very narrow minded, to think that that would be the reason why. Like, it's too, it's it's not a straightforward. I mean, if anything, nothing is straightforward within Hawkins and the Upside Down, and and kids being possessed, this, that, and the other, like, and killed off. But like, it's it's not as it's, it can't be as straightforward as like just a random murder. It has to be something to do with like spirits or this, that, and the other. But I did like that touch, even though I hated Jason. Like, I thought it was it just it made sense for his character to jump to that kind of conclusion with everything that's happened over the years in Hawkins. Um, and like I said, though it's horrible, you know, as horrible as a fancy Eddie not make it in the end, it was in some way a fitting conclusion for him to not run away, you know, to not run away, to do that, to what he did. And my God, like I said, that master of puppet sequence, as soon as he started hitting that riff, it was, I was just like, I'm in my bloody element. This is, this is incredible. Like Metallica, like, yes. Um, you know, I just, it was just mind blowing. Like knowing that, that Joseph Quinn as well, learnt 90% of that track. There's some fantastic behind-the-scenes work as well of him rehearsing for that. You know, it just makes it even more badass, you know what I mean? Like, everything except the solo is what he played on guitar and such. And I thought he was... Um I thought it was amazing. Like it, there was so much warmth to Eddie that it was right to his core. He was a good person, you know, the outsider, the misunderstood one kind of thing, the, the fantastic music taste, just so good. So good in that he didn't make it. Um, and like I say, it makes that sequence when Dustin's having to tell his uncle about his death, even more heartbreaking, you know, that he was still Eddie right to the end. Um, and that was probably the most emotional that I felt throughout the season was that sequence. I was gutted when he died, wasn't like sobbing or anything, but definitely tears were flowing when Dustin was telling his uncle about him. Um, just talking about all that at the end, I thought it was just incredibly moving, incredibly powerful. And again, like just the emotion range within the season and, and what the Duffers have wrote. I just think Jesus Christ guys, like steady on you, you like, how can you top this? You know what I mean? Like, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I thought it was a very, very moving, uh, moving moment. But, you know, Eddie coming out with all of these, you know, 
quotes and references, like I say, like saying that the Shire is on fire and like you're asking me to go to Mordor and such. I just, I absolutely love that character. Like the way that he was, just this whole eccentricity to him, you know, like when Erica is joining up on the uh, Hellfire Club and he's like, and she starts like giving him lip and he's like, well, well, she, it speaks or she speaks or whatever he says or something. It was just an absolute dream, an absolute delight as well to have on screen and Joseph Quinn really good that he's not made it to season five because I just feel that he would have uh, he would have been uh, so so good to have again in the uh, in the next season but yeah not to be but we still have some amazing moments with Eddie in this series and uh, yeah I still can't get over said the master of puppets situation just so so good but whilst we've obviously been talking about this whole mob like mentality and and you know people blaming Eddie for the death of Chrissy and the death of the the the, the, the kids in Hawkins. Let's just quickly touch upon Jason before we go to Russia and talk about Hopper and such. Um, I hated him. <laughs> Absolutely hated him. Uh, he loves a good microphone, doesn't he? He loves a good microphone speech. Everything that he did was like just oh, so aggravating, so infuriating. Like he's just, just a character that just you love to hate. Um, and he himself was pushed to obsession, you know what I mean? Like over what had happened with Chrissy. Made some extremely irrational decisions. Even after like he watches his own friend, you know, get pulled up out of the lake and killed in the trance by Vecner. Um, whilst Eddie was swimming away as well, let's 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 remind ourselves that Eddie falls off his boat into that. Whilst this kid is, you know, so far into the into the air, that wasn't enough for him to think that maybe Eddie wasn't the villain there. Um, you know, it ultimately does his character ultimately does show Lucas that being being with the popular kids isn't necessarily a good thing. You can see why Lucas, as I say, got sucked into that world, as I've stated before, you know, like he just didn't want to get bullied anymore. But I think Jason was just a like a, a bit of a reminder for Lucas just to just to be yourself, you know what I mean? No matter what, like Eddie was the complete opposite of Jason. You know, he was more in touch with, so much more in touch with Lucas than Jason ever was. Jason's obsession ultimately leads to his own death in the Creel house at the end. Like... Prior to that, though, I bloody loved every punch that Lucas got in against him. Like, when they were scrapping, and obviously Jason... And just He reminded me a little bit of, like, a blend between Tom Cruise and, and Brad Pitt. But, you know, like, just someone that just needed a slap. You know what I mean? This character that was just not listening, just his own had his own agenda, his own kind of messed-up story in his head of what was going on, that... That was it. That was that was the only answer, you know, turning the town against the police, this, that, and the other, like him really, you know, causing more harm than good. You know what I mean? Like, again, thinking everything was part of a cult light spell. Even when he sees Max floating away, floating around, or, or when sorry, when he when he does come in and she's in that trance, obviously, and and getting getting at Vecna or whatever, it was so stressful because you're just thinking all that needs to be done now is just just walk away, just leave. Let them sort it, but again, because he's obsessed, he's got this obsession with what's happened. He's thinking he's doing good. He's not. It just, ah, oh, just so frustrating, so grueling at times. It's like I just felt that he definitely, like I said, at times was too too much for me a little bit in terms of his performance. He was a little bit overboard. Like I said before, like the military guy, you know, like a dog with a bone. Both of those characters, like a dog with a bone, they really wouldn't let anything go, and they just, it was like minds made up get to it like whether it's torturing people sm like when Ed, like jason sorry goes over to the rest of the hellfire club out there where they're doing band practice and just has like s s swinging punches and throwing kids about this that and the other i just I, it's like what are you doing like you are you you yourself are becoming such a like a villain in your own story um i just i, I was so happy to see him go mad as well to think that people missed his death because i was like it was i was so, like as soon as he got split in half i was like there we go that's that that serves you right mate like if anything 
he should have been slower. <laughs> like, he should have gone out even worse off than what you did. But when Lucas was getting those punches in, I was like, yeah, yeah, you, you, you smack that little, sh-. you know what I mean? Like, you take him out. Um, just, a, just a character that we all love to hate, character that just completely didn't get what was going off, wouldn't listen to anyone else other than what he was thinking and getting himself worked up over. And, um, yeah, like I say, ultimately turned the town against these, just these innocent young guys have got nothing to do with, uh, nothing to do with uh, any of it. We are going to jump to Russia now, say, with one of the last pieces on this podcast. It's been an extended one, as you can see, but I really do appreciate you guys listening in because, like I said, so much to unpack in this particular series. But Hopper obviously survived season three. He didn't die, hallelujah. Those tears I shed at that letter that he wrote for 11 were for nothing. <laughs> like, like, it was such a, an emotional ending to season three and one that I was like, they can't kill him off. Even with the cliffhanger when there was like, you know, in the Russian prison where they said, oh, leave the American, let's take the other guy down to the demagogue. And I was like, the American being Hopper or the American being Brennan? Like, who is that going to be? But obviously we got the teaser, you know, that feels like forever ago. Do you remember that teaser, listeners, when it first dropped and it was like, you know, we got to see uh, the, the the Russian prison, obviously the, the, the train trap being built and such, and we got to see the reveal that Hopper was indeed alive, albeit very slim, lost a lot of weight and head shaven, looked a lot like L obviously now. Um, I thought that this storyline was, was really great because as I stated earlier on in this podcast, if you remember all that time ago, um, that Hopper was almost like reinvented in this series. It's still Hopper. Don't get me wrong. It's still, you know, David Harbour's amazing portrayal as Hopper, but I felt that they were able to start again with Hopper in this season. He's lost a shed load of weight as I stayed, and he's a certified badass in his own right. But with him being trapped within that prison and trying to find a way out, like he was we were able to look inwards more with Hopper. You know, like he was able to look at a lot of his life choices, a lot of what's happened over the course and the people that he felt that needed him. Like he says, doesn't it, to to Enzo, great character character, like I said, Enzo is the the Russian guard that like he was under the impression or like that he told himself rather convinced himself that everyone needed him. Whereas that was a lie. Like he needed 11, he needed Joyce, he needed Hawkins. He needed all of that on the back of what had happened with his daughter, Sarah. And I thought that again was, was really touching because it's again, we're filling in gaps and blanks that we didn't know needed filling. They didn't know that they were there, but this sequence of him, you know, opening up to Enzo saying that he worked, you know, he was in the Vietnam War and his unit was unknowingly mixing chemicals for Agent Orange and those in the unit, they were doing so with just like kitchen gloves on, no masks, no nothing, obviously breathing in this toxic toxic gas. They would then go off and try to have lives of their own after this war and then kids were being developed, you know, with disabilities and illnesses and, and in, his, in Hopper's daughter's case, you know, Sarah was diagnosed with cancer. It was a very strong moment, I felt, within the season to see that vulnerable side of Hopper. You know, him losing his daughter and, and him saying it was you know painful for her, this, that, and the other. And ultimately, although his wife never said with words that she blamed him for it, she she did, you know. And, and so him almost being able to father 11, you know, it, it means a great deal to him. It was a second chance for Hopper that he'd always wanted. You know, he wanted to be a father. And I... And, the relationship between him and Elle in seasons two and three, obviously that father and daughter, you know, relationship was, 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 was wonderful, you know, it was, and then it was taken away from him too soon. It's like, he's then accepted this fate in prison that he's getting what he's deserved that almost like, is there any more fight left in him? There is obviously because we do get him out of there, but he's, there's a lot of 
looking inwards for Hopper. A lot of questions that he's answering for himself. But I like that there is that fight still in him. That he does he does have something to fight for. You know, obviously, especially when Joyce and uh, Murray come all the way for him. You know, I did feel that it it was really strong what they did with Hopper. Like to say to start him again. To have him also like take on Demogorgons once again with a flamethrower as well, boy oh boy, amazing. Enzo was a great addition to the cast. You know, nice to have someone that brings the audience in a little bit more with the Russian side of the prison. Like, though the Duffers don't directly say what they're doing in the prison, like it was, it always screamed danger. You know, whenever we saw Hopper, whenever we were brought back to that Russian prison, whenever it was something else to do with Hopper, I felt that you always felt either cold, on edge, or just what was going to happen next, how was Hopper going to get out of this, and that was one of my only, again, only one of few nitpicks that I have for this season, is that we we knew that they were work, like that they were doing experiments on the Demogorgons, obviously the Russians and such, and obviously on the back of season three, they'd created their own machine to open a gate to the Upside Down, and obviously they've got a Demogorgon via that, I just wish that there was something else. I don't know. Like I was, I was expecting something more. Like I was expecting them maybe to be the catalyst that would cause potentially like the upside down to come to the right side up. Obviously, I know it it does anyways, but that's through Vetner's, you know, what he what he, what his plan is kind of thing. I just wish that they maybe done a little bit more with the Russian prison because, you know, it was just like yeah, we're in this Russian prison, one of the most terrifying places to be on on the planet, one of the worst places to be on the planet or whatever but we don't know exactly what they're doing other than just a few tests in the background kind of thing. Unless I've missed something, because there's a lot to pick up, you know what I mean? Enzo, like, with, like, some of the best lines in this show, like, absolutely brilliant. Like, he's 100 to 1 when he's... When, like, he says before, he's like, ah, I think you'll get, like, it's 100 to 1 to escape. And then when he does it, and he's like, 100 to 1, son of a bitch. <laughs> like, so, so great. Such a great line. And uh, I did feel that Enzo wasn't going to make it. Like, I, di- I did feel that Yuri, obviously, after backstabbing everyone, backstabbing Enzo, like, obviously turning him in, you know, letting the plan go 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 wrong essentially, and and almost like delaying for time in terms of build, you know, fixing the helicopter to to get everyone out, you know, Murray, Joyce, and so and such. I felt he was going to kill him off when they were left alone, and and Yuri was already betrayed him. I thought this is going to be it. This is where he's going to do something to Enzo, kill him off or whatever, and then he'll be on his merry way, and that'll be it. We're, we're just going to be, I don't know, will, will we ever get Hopper out of Russia, essentially? But no, all it took was uh, was a pretty good motivational speech from from Enzo, saying, you know, what happened to this peanut butter smuggler that I heard? I, it was meant to be like one of the best people of whatever, one of the best of the best kind of thing, and that was it. That was the good enough push that he needed. I was just happy that Enzo made it out alive. Granted, you know, that being said, I would have preferred it if Eddie had survived and maybe Enzo had popped it, but um, all the same, I hope that Enzo does have at least something in the next series. But we talk about the we talk about the Russian sequences. We talk about obviously Hopper in the Russian prison, like that fight battle, like in the pit with the Demogorgon, just so good, so good. Like the way. The, the Demogorgon was moving through that. The attacks were terrifying, gnarly at times as well, when it like jumps down on someone and just starts munching on its head and it's just obviously gone. Some of the deaths were absolutely brutal. And like I said, the horror, as I've said, it was ramped up this season. But Hopper is a badass, you know. The plan itself works, obviously, for him to get the, you know, very quick thinking to obviously start that kind of fight. So he could, he's obviously stole alcohol, like vodka. He's got the lighter. He knows that fire can take, or it can take down. Um, so it's, it's only weakness, sorry, of the Demogorgon. Using that in that situation was just so good. There's a great behind-the-scenes feature as well from the Duffer Brothers showing how that was all done, obviously, with the special effects and the stunts and this, that, and the other. Do watch that as well. It is so, so good. But it, I just thought that whole pit sequence was fantastic. And obviously, then on top of that, you've got 
you know, Hopper running around with a flamethrower in volume two. You know, I thought, like I said, the Russian sequence was 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 really good. I've, I've read articles online where they were saying that they should have kept Hopper dead and that it didn't need to happen. It was just a needless storyline of back and forth, back and forth. But I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was really great. I, I, I appreciate other people's opinions about stuff. There's things on this that I've said in this podcast where people thought, well, I didn't enjoy that as much or whatever. But I just felt that the Russian sequence was, um, was really great. Just so good to have Hopper back and... Now that he is back, obviously, with Hawkins. And like I said, the, the, the reuniting with Joyce. God, it was so wonderful. Such a tender moment. Like, such a lovely moment. Like, the weight of that, the slow motion when she sees him and then they have that hug and it's like, he just can't believe it. You know what I mean? Like, and we also get them, we also get them a smooch. They have a smooch and that's been building for years and years. It's nice that they're finally looking like to be in a, a relationship, something that we wanted, obviously, as fans from the get-go. Just a lot happened with Hopper. Like I say, a lot of looking inward, a lot of character development for him, and it was so good to see, like I said, them start from scratch with him. I did think that it was uh, really, really excellent what they did with Hopper in this particular season. Looking forward to having him back in Hawkins. Looking forward to, like, the town being like, oh, he ain't dead, you know what I mean? Like, he maybe because he's a hero still in Hawkins. He saved Hawkins, obviously, at the end of season three. So to have that back was um, was great. I think the only characters I've not really spoke about, and because there's not really too much to say, you know, because they were sidelined, is Jonathan and Will and Argyle and such. Jonathan and Will obviously more so uh, sidelined than Argyle, who is the new character. Um, I do think that Will got a fantastic ending towards the season, you know, by like when he's talking to Mike saying, I can feel Vecna again, this and the other, like I can feel him. You know, it, it could be like, like it was with the Mind Flayer. Like I said, it could be that they're setting up more so with Will in the next season. Will also obviously got a really strong moment, you know, with, with Mike in the car where it was essentially, it was him telling Mike how he loved him. You know what I mean? Like it was him, you know, saying how he felt, but doing it in, doing it in a way that it was towards how Elle felt about Mike. Because Mike was obviously questioning everything, showing the painting that Elle had him commissioned and him saying, look, you're the heart of the group. It was inadvertently Mike... Uh, inadvertently sorry will confessing his love for mike and it's something that he's obviously struggling with something that he's still struggling with and obviously we get that again a, a really strong moment between jonathan and him when they hug and it's you know that that whole that moment was really tender really strong but it's like it was just nice to have that for him because he needed to let something out whether or not it wasn't him directly saying look i feel this way i feel like that i did feel it was a really really strong moment in that car sequence and i think Noah schnapp is just so good as will really good as will um, obviously Jonathan and Nancy are a bit of a again another couple that are a bit of a crossroads where they don't don't know what's going to happen for the future obviously Jonathan and Nancy agreeing to go to one college or whatever together but it turns out they're going to be going to separate ones obviously Jonathan keeping that a secret him again thinking like he's going to be holding Nancy back obviously from you know confessing that to Argyle this that and the other they're, in two, they're on two different paths whether that path will come together again who knows obviously with the Duffer Brothers saying that they want to kind of team people up again with who they were with in season one Maybe they will make it to the end. But Jonathan and Will, definitely the two characters that were sidelined an awful lot this season. So not really got too much to say other than, like I said, it was great to have them interacting and meeting um, Susie for the first time, obviously, in person, obviously. And all of that being really entertaining around Susie's house. Like That was just such a... It was like not left field or anything, but it was just like... I was not expecting Susie to have so many siblings that were so like quirky as much as like she is quirky as well. But that whole house is like a madhouse. It's like something for like Peter Pan, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was just incredible. Um, but yeah, like so a lot of Jonathan Will's stories kind of it was just to get Mike to L again. You know, they do get L back. Obviously, they're the ones that find her in the middle of nowhere after the uh, you know after Papa is killed and the helicopter is taken down. But 
yeah, it was just kind of felt like let's just go from from there to there. Let's just keep those characters ticking along nicely. And although they were involved in a pretty cool shootout, I will give them that when the Hawkins security are with them in the home and then the military turn up and the way the camera follows that around, good Lord, I was like, this is brilliant. Like it was such an action set, like literally like something from an action film, you know what I mean? Like it was really excellent. Um, brilliant stuff. Just like I say, I thought that they were, they were, they were the most sidelined. Brings me nicely, I would say, towards the end of this podcast episode. And as I say, I really appreciate you guys sticking around and listening to this very extended episode talking about Strange Things Season 4. But obviously, the best way to finish this podcast is to talk about the ending of the series, which is that obviously Vetna's, um, Vetna's plan does come, does come to happen, does come to pass. We He gets his fourth kill. Obviously, Max doesn't stay dead, and she is now obviously in a coma. I think the Duffer brothers have said that she is blind, she's broken, she is not there, obviously. So we, on the back of that, obviously, the cracks have happened. Hell is now on Earth. It is looking like season five is shaping up to be a very, very good season. Obviously, we're going to potentially get Army of Monsters, this, that, and the other. But I thought the final shot of this sequence, having the characters, having the heroes all look up towards the sky... Um, you know, when the particles of the upside down, the dust particles are coming over, the dark clouds are looming. We get to see everyone in Hawkins react to this. The whole town are confused. Everyone does not have a clue what's going on, except, you know, our, our heroes know exactly what is happening. You know, you've got Dustin obviously limping towards out of the, you know, pushing his way through the cloud, looking up. Erica and Lucas, they're looking out their window together, seeing the dust particles. You've got, you know, Nancy's parents as well. They're looking out, is obviously confused as to what is happening as well. All of which our heroes, L and Co. You know, Hopper, Joyce, everyone's back there together. You know, Will, Jonathan, Nancy, everyone. Then we, you know, Mike as well. Sorry, walking towards where the smoke is coming from, and then we have the wonderful mix of the original theme playing over, building and building. It's a very slow. It's a slower remix version of it. I would say slower version of the track. We get to see our heroes stood in obviously that you know the pattern of the line over that hill on that horizon, looking as the, the smoke and the red, everything over the horizon leaking through, the flowers and everything are dying, it's all like, you know, it's a nice little nod as well, maybe towards E.T. with that, with the plant dying and such like that, but the way that it all looked and shaped on that horizon, that wide shot of the back of the characters as we see all the smoke and hell, as I say, coming into Hawkins, the upside down is coming into the right side up and Vetna's plan has happened it's, it, and he's still out there as well l knowing that she's got one more battle to face with ben and the face of determination that we have i was just goosebumps at the end of it i thought this is the best way that they can possibly end the tv series leave us on that kind of cliffhanger to think what on earth is going to happen how are our heroes going to sort this out in the next season can't wait for what they're going to do in season five really can't wait we still need to get the explanation as to why the upside down is locked in 1983 the day that will went missing Something that the Duffer Brothers have come out and said that will be explained in Season 5, so I'm looking forward to all of that and how that comes to play. But there's been so much in this series that I've loved. Like, you know, I've not, I may have glossed over so much of this series, but, you know, the main points to take away is that it was absolutely amazing. It was so good. It's, like I said, the tone and everything, there was, there was not as much fun, should we say, in this series. There's a few jokes in there, but the fun vibe of it wasn't as... as uh, at the forefront, obviously, is what the previous seasons are, in particular season three, obviously, was very, like, goofy at times in a good way. It's like they weren't taking themselves too seriously, and I loved that element of it. I missed that in season four, but I know why they're shaping up like the way they are, why the Duffer Brothers have made the tone very dark, they've upped the horror, they've made it, you know, so serious that it is now built up for what will be a fantastic end. And like I said, the whole ending sequence just screamed Empire Strikes Back. Our heroes have not fallen 
but they've not won. They've lost this battle. They have to now be the Jedi's. They've got to return in the next one for a one last battle to overcome this great evil that is Vecna. Um, I loved so much of this. I thought that the budget was just absolutely out of this world. The scale of this show is just epic and grand. You know, seeing the mind flayer being brought to life, obviously the particles being shifted into that form of, you know, Henry Creel and his obsession for spiders. The fact we got to see, obviously, all those flashbacks of him drawing away the, the, the massive spider of the mind flayer, what would be the mind flayer, obviously, when he was a young boy, just like Will was doing. There's obviously going to be something for Will to do in the final season. I can't wait to see what they do with it. I've seen a ton of theories, obviously, obviously the likes of obviously with Vecna, when he kills, as Brenner says, they don't he, he he takes more of just the kill itself, they all live within him. Then he says to L that they're not gone, they're in here, and he points to his head. Are all his victims gonna be in there? Is that where Max is? You know, it that you know, L goes to try and find Max by, you know, doing her old mind layer sequence. But she's not there. She can't find her, this, that, and the other. So is she in Vecna? They're going to have to go and battle in Vecna's mind. There's so many possibilities, so many answers that I can't wait for season five to bring. But I really enjoyed season four. And I really hope as well that you've enjoyed my thoughts on this extended episode for Stranger Things. I appreciate you guys listening and checking it out. Um, yeah, Stranger Things. What a show, eh? What a bloody show. Looking forward to more episodes on the podcast. As always, do keep in touch on the social. Jump onto Facebook and search Joe Blogs About Films. Please do give us a like and a follow on there. That will be really, really greatly appreciated. Give us a, a like on Spotify. Hit the notification button. Leave us a review as well on Spotify. Get those five-star reviews in, because again, that too would be pretty epic and pretty awesome of you. So here we are then. Thank you ever so much again for listening in to this episode. I'll be back before you know it with more episodes, no doubt. Looking forward to it. Until next time, though, take care.